The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. Well, today as we... See if I am unmuted. Today, as as I mentioned earlier, today is the Sanctity of Life Sunday. And it's a Sunday when we link arms with churches all around our world, all around our country to raise awareness, to advocate for and to pray for and to protect the sanctity of life. That every person, from the moment they are conceived in the womb, every person is created in the image of God. And is given worth and value and dignity and purpose by the Lord our God. And so I invite you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 82. Psalm chapter 82, that's where our passage will be this morning. And in Psalm 82 this morning, we will see the sovereign king who enacts justice for the vulnerable and for the oppressed. The sovereign king who enacts justice for the vulnerable and the oppressed. And and as we are trying to get into a new habit uh, this year, church, if you would stand with me in the honor of and honoring God's word as we read his word aloud this morning. God's word says this to you this morning, church. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the, of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are God, sons of the most high. All of you, nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all. The nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would now open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word. Burden us this morning to be a people not only who believe the truth about biblical justice, but that we would be a people seeking to do biblical justice in our world today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, you can be seated. So this morning, it's going to be a bit different from uh, what we normally do. Normally, we do what's called expository preaching, where we, we see what's the main point of a text, of a passage, and then that is the main point of my sermon. And it will still be biblical and based in the text, but it will be a bit more topical this morning because of the Sanctity of Life Sunday. But, but this past week, uh, I, as I was reading the news, a BBC article headline, it caught my eye. Because its title read, and you may be, maybe, maybe have seen this same article, but the title said, Climate Anxiety, subtitle, I Don't Want to Burden the World with My Child. I saw that, and it caught my eye. The, the article goes on to talk about how people from both the developed and the developing world are struggling with what's being termed climate anxiety, And they referenced a study that said 74% of people in India, 64% of people in the UAE, and nearly 50% of people in multiple countries, our world, our country included, they're questioning whether or not to have children because of the impact that it would have on the climate. And so before we continue, while it may be easy to 
you know, scoff at or ridicule people who think this way. I want to encourage you to pray for people who have been deceived in this way and have been driven to these depths of anxiety, fear, depression, and despair. These are people created in the image of God as well. And so we should pray that God would open their eyes to the truth of the gospel and that he would fill their hearts with the hope that only he can give. But, but that being said, how does this happen? How does this inversion and, to be honest, this perversion of values, how does that take place? So much so that a large portion of our society, nearly 50%, today ultimately revere the earth more than they value their own children. Well, it happens, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, when people exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. It happens when, as our text alludes to in verse 1, it happens when people begin to bend the knee to the little g-gods of this earth. And then the, the, Now, there are still places in our world today where people literally bow their knees and worship, burn incense, and pray to idols. I've witnessed this firsthand in the country of Myanmar. And, and when I went there to the pagoda, it was absolutely heartbreaking. It was almost unbearably heartbreak, heartbreaking. But, but while the physical worship of gods and idols still exist in, in pockets of our world today, the worship of various ideological gods, it is rampant in our world and culture today. Whether that's the God of climate, whether that's the God of sexuality, the God of social equity, the God of affluency and wealth, or ultimately at the root of them all, whether it's the worship of the God of self. But what does our text this morning say? It says that in the midst of all of these bales that our world has propped up today are eternally existing, our universe creating and our universally reigning king. He governs this world with absolute control. He is the one who reigns supreme over all the gods of this earth. There is one true living God who reigns over all the physically made and ideologically constructed gods of our world today. And so listen, it can be easy, right? It can be easy to get discouraged as we see many in our culture or maybe even some in your own family bending their knees to the gods of this world, right? It can get discouraging. But church, may we take heart in this truth. Our God, he has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. In other words, our God reigns supreme. He reigns alone on his throne. He will share his glory with no one or nothing. And he reigns supreme over all. And so I want to encourage you that though our world and maybe some of your family members, though they're bending their knees to the gods of this world, I want to encourage you to instead bend your knee to the sovereign king, to your heavenly father, and to intercede for those, as verse 5 says, for those who are still walking about in darkness. We serve a sovereign king who has taken his place in the divine council and who holds judgment over all the gods of this world. We serve the one true living God who reigns over all other gods. And so in light of that truth, then church, because we serve a sovereign king who reigns over all gods, we also, our text says, we serve a good judge who enacts justice for the vulnerable and the oppressed. Notice with me verse three, what, what Asaph says. What the Lord through Asaph says, give justice, give justice. And so how we understand justice today, it's largely informed by our political persuasions and affiliations, right? If we're honest, 
Those on the right, right, we would tend to associate justice with what's called retributive justice, that we are to punish those who do wrong in our society. And it's coined by the phrase, you do the crime, what? You, you do the time. That's right. And, and those on the left tend to advocate for what's called social justice, that everyone should deserve equal economic and social outcomes. And so this notion of social justice, it's been popularized by the phrase wokeness. So you have the law and order types over here, and you got the woke over here. But this morning, when it comes to the issue of justice, I, I don't want us to define our understanding of justice using political theory or moral philosophy. No, as Christians, I want us to look not to the right, church, not to the right, or not to the left, but to look down into our Bibles and to see how God defines justice. And consequently, how we should then do justice in light of his truth. And so look again with me at that command in verse 3. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. That, that word for justice here, it's the word mishpat. And, and this word is used more than 200 times in the Old Testament. In, in, in its most basic form, this word means that we, are, that we are to treat people equally and without partiality. And so it does involve this idea of retributive justice, that we are to impartially administer and enforce the law. However, the majority of times this word is used, it doesn't refer to retributive justice. That means punishment. Instead, it's used in the positive sense of the word and that we are to ensure and to protect the rights of people. One commentator said this word mishpat, justice, then it's giving people what they are due, whether punishment or protection or care. And so the biblical view of justice, it includes both retributive and social justice. Now, social justice, that's a loaded term, right? But again, church, I want to encourage you not to define that term by how the culture defines it. Rather, we are to define it how the Bible defines it. And so when justice is brought up in the Old Testament, it's overwhelmingly concerned with the most vulnerable in our society. Again, it's brought up over 200 times in the Old Testament. And it's, it describes taking up the care of the, and the cause of widows, of orphans, of immigrants, and the poor. What, what's been termed as the quartet of the vulnerable. Just one example, Zechariah, and it's, there's too many to, we would be here all day if I were to give every example. But one example in scripture, Zechariah 7 verses 10 through 11 says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the immigrant or the poor. And so when we fail to care for the quartet of the vulnerable, we're not only failing to show mercy or charity to other people, we are disobeying God's command. And we are violating God's justice. Tim Keller, he writes this, God loves and he defends those with the least economic and social power, and so should we. This is what it means to do justice. And listen, church, this idea of justice, it's rooted in the character of God himself. Because God is just, and because he enacts justice for the fatherless, the widow, the immigrant, and the poor, then so should we as his people. He is calling his people to be just and to seek out and to do justice for the most vulnerable so to be sure, we don't, we're not out there to do justice, to be justice warriors in our community in order to be, to be woke citizens. No, we do justice in our community to be, listen, obedient Christians. 
to be people of the God of justice. We don't have time to read it, but you can jot down Psalm 146, verses 7 through 8, and Deuteronomy 10, verses 17 through 18, as other references to support this truth. And so if this is true, and it is that we are called to care for the quartet of the vulnerable in our society, then it's helpful to ask the question, who are these people in our society and in our community today? And so... I had to cut our, my sermon down, uh, and so I cut it down to three groups of people today that I think we should particularly focus on. Three groups of people for whom we are called, to, as God people, to give justice to. And the first is the unborn. In a t- 2022 survey performed by Pew Research, it showed that 62% of adults say the practice of abortion should be legal in all or most cases in our country and and after i read that i was reminded of the words of john adams when he says wrong does not cease to be wrong even though the majority take part in it and and so while abortion clearly contradicts the teachings of scripture that that in the biblical teaching that a baby receives the state of personhood at the moment of conception we, we just read that in psalm 139 and we see it in luke 1 and many other places Scientific advances over the years also gives us evidence to see that clearly the life in the womb, it is a human person. So let's just review that a minute. At the moment of conception, when the egg is fertilized, a new human life is formed, formed complete with its own unique, genetically unique DNA. 18 to 24 days after conception, the heart's beat is detectable. At eight weeks, brain, weaves can, brain, brain waves can be detected and fingerprints are already formed. And by the ninth and tenth weeks, the thyroid, the adrenal glands are functioning and the child can squint, swallow, and move his or her little tiny tongue. By the twelfth and thirteenth weeks, the child can suck his thumb and recoil from pain if pricked with a needle. And in Places in our country, abortion is legal during that time. By the fourth month, the unchild is eight. The unborn child is eight to ten inches in height, and from around seventeen to twenty-four weeks, except four to six months, all the systems within the baby's body is operational. The baby responds, and early learning can occur. They can recognize the mom and dad's voice. And now, thanks to medical care, and we've had friends who have been in, unfortunately in this situation before. But a, a baby can be can have the opportunity to live outside the womb as early as 22 weeks. And so scientifically, we can look at the evidence. We have biblical warrant, but we have scientific evidence. But also, we know this to be inherently morally true, that that, that little piece of mass inside the womb, it is a human life. I, I, if you're a parent, uh, you probably remember, too, all the ultrasounds that you went to for your children, right? I remember all four of our ultrasounds that we went, well, multiple ultrasounds for our four kids. And after seeing my child for the first time, I did not think, wow, what an interesting clump of cells we have here, right? No, when someone sees their baby for the first time in an ultrasound, what do they say? That's my baby. Because the baby in the womb is a person. We know that inherently to be true. Because it is someone created in the image of God. 
And so biblically, scientifically, and morally, there's no getting around the fact human life, it begins at conception. And therefore, every unborn baby is a human life created in the image of God, deserving of human dignity, value, and respect, and protection. And so we are called to give justice, as, and as verse 4 says, we are called to deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Church, we have been called to speak for those who do not have a voice and to defend the most defenseless in our society. And so let there be no confusion or capitulation regarding this fact that when an abortion occurs, when that tragic situation happens, biblically speaking, the murdering of a human life occurs And so when we advocate for the rights of the unborn, we're not pushing forth a red, right, Republican agenda. We are obeying the biblical mandate that has been placed upon us. And that is to give justice. And that is to to protect the lives of the most vulnerable and the most innocent and the most defenseless and the most marginalized people in our society today. We are called to give justice to the unborn. And so to help you articulate and to advocate for the sanctity of life in some discussions you may have, I, I shared this last year, but I think uh, you may have forgotten it. And so I'm going to refresh your memory and uh, with some new people here. So it's called the SLED test. And so people who advocate for abortion rights sometimes concede, concede the fact that an unborn baby, it's a human being, but they don't concede that the human being equates to personhood. They, they distinguish the two there. And so to help you articulate that this human life, it is a person, people have come up with the SLED acronym, and it stands for Size, Level of Development, Environment, and Degree of Dependency. And so looking at the first one, size, right? The the unborn little baby, little boy, little girl, it's clearly smaller than a born human, right? But by analogy, while a four-year-old is smaller than a 14-year-old, the the smallness of a four-year-old doesn't diminish the dignity, and it makes the four-year-old no less a human than a 14-year-old. A human being's value is not based upon their size. A baby in the womb is still equally a person, even though his or her size is smaller. And so size does not determine personhood. Look at the next one, level of development. The unborn is also less developed than a born human being, right? We would all agree to that fact. But again, by analogy, While a four-year-old girl cannot bear children because she's not developed reproductively to do that, and while a 20-year-old woman can, does this disqualify the four-year-old from personhood? Does it make her less of a person? No. The four-year-old is still equally valuable as a childbearing adult woman. So yes, the unborn is less developed than another person. But just like we can't disqualify a lesser developed four-year-old child who's incapable of having a baby, neither can we disqualify the less developed baby in the womb. An unborn baby is a person. The, the, the E in there is environment. And so the unborn is located in a different environment than that of a born human. But to give drastic examples... An astronaut hundreds of thousands of miles above the Earth's surface is at that moment existing in a radically different environment than a scuba diver 200 feet down in the ocean. Yet neither of these changes in environments change the fact that these are both persons, human beings. 
So the question is, how then could a seven-inch journey through the birth canal magically transform a valueless human into a valuable person? Nothing has changed except their location. An unborn baby is a person regardless of environment. And then finally, degree of dependency. It's true that the unborn is dependent upon the mother's body for nutrition and proper environment, right? However, newborn, newborn babies and, ba- and, and older babies, they are still dependent upon their parents to provide nutrition and a safe environment. And, and, and in that example wouldn't, wouldn't say that an adult ceases to be a person when they are intubated, right? We, we, we've unfortunately been through the COVID season where, when many people have been intubated. They're dependent, wholly dependent on something outside of them to continue to exist. But even when that adult is intubated, it doesn't make them less of a person. No personhood is completely independent of our degree of dependency. An unborn baby is still a person. In the first 10 months of 2023, an estimated 878,000 abortions were conducted within the United States healthcare system. These are recorded. And an estimated 73 million abortions took place around the world. So church, let's continue to pray. The job is not done. Let's continue to pray, to plead with the Lord, to continue to be at work in our country and around the world to protect the life of the unborn. May we plead the cause of the defenseless. May we speak for it. May we vote for those who cannot speak and vote for themselves. This past week, this is a hypothetical situation in our household uh, and uh, did not happen. Uh, well, it did happen, but uh, to protect the guilty, I won't say who. Um, but one of the older siblings may have been beating up on one of the younger siblings. And so, uh, again, not going to say who that could have been. Um, but I spoke to this individual and I said, kiddo, I'm trying to keep the guilty, protect the guilty. Uh, I said, kiddo, in this family... We protect those who cannot protect themselves. If you hurt someone who cannot protect themselves, that's called a bully. We're not going to be bullies. We will protect those who cannot protect themselves. Church, we have been called to protect those who cannot protect themselves. However, as Christians, we don't want to only promote the sanctity of life for the unborn. We should just as enthusiastically do the same for the born as well. Because both the born and the unborn are created in the image of God. We're not called to just be pro-life from conception to birth. And that's a critique. And I think sometimes a warranted critique of Christians. We're we're adamant about the sanctity of life for the unborn. But church, we are called to also be pro-life from conception to grave. And so this means then that as Christians, we should advocate for, we should financially support, and we should be willing to take in foster care and adopt Children without parents. There's an estimated 150 million orphans worldwide. Boys and girls living without the embrace and the love of a father or a mother. And in the United States, at any given moment, there are 407,000 children in the foster care system, including thousands within the foster care system in our own state here. And I was speaking to a caseworker once and they told me that tragically one third of these children in our state foster care system, they don't really need to be in the system, but there's no other viable alternative for that child. 
Church, we've been called to care for the fatherless. And so to my fault, while I failed to lead us in this way last year, I want us to pray as a church through how we as a church can advocate and care for the fatherless and for the parentless in our own community and in our world. As God is burdening you during this sermon, I want to encourage you to share those burdens with me so that together as a church, we can begin to care for those that are vulnerable in our world, for those without parents or for those without, with, with, not in the home of a parent. We'll watch the video. Uh, additionally, not only for the unborn and for the orphan the, or the functionally orphan, We are also now living in a time of unprecedented refugee crisis in our world, aren't we, church? Around our world, there's an estimated 90 million people who have been displaced from their homeland due to war, violence, famine, political unrest, persecution, or other reasons. 90 million people. And in God's providence, he has recently, over the past year, brought over 1,000 Afghans to middle America, Tulsa, Oklahoma, to be our new neighbors here. And so, yes, we live in a time of unprecedented refugee crisis, but we are also, church, living in a time. The, the, the news will tell you this is a crisis, and it is, sure, but we also live in a time of unprecedented gospel opportunity. Because God is bringing to our neighborhood, church, people from hard-to-reach places in our world. He's bringing them to us for them to hear the good news that Jesus saves. And so I'm so grateful for the work that my wife Emily and Wade and Stacy Scardino have been doing to reach Afghans here in our city. And so if God has placed a burden on your heart to reach unreached people groups here, I want to encourage you to reach out to me, to Emily, to Wade, to Stacy, and we will be more than happy to get you involved as well. Again, church, we are not to be people who just believe in justice. God's word says we are to be people who give, who do justice in our world. So how are we to then respond? How should we advocate for justice today? Well, I want to give you four ways you can do that this morning. At least four ways. And the first is to be convictional in truth. Right? It's risky sometimes, right? It's risky sometimes to stand convictionally upon truth, isn't it? There can be a social cost to do so. But when those situations arise to stand upon truth, to advocate for the cause of biblical justice in our world today. When there's an opportunity to speak truth in difficult conversations, we are called as Christians to stand unflinchingly and unwaveringly in the truth. Come what may. We're not to do so unlovingly. We're not to do so belligerently. We're to do so compassionately and and with mercy. But nonetheless, we are called to stand convictionally in the truth of Scripture. And that leads to the second point, that we are to also be compassionate in love. We are to respond with compassion and love. Yes, we stand uncompromisingly on truth, but we do so with grace as followers of the one who is full of grace and truth. Listen, when we experience God's grace, it leads us to show his grace toward other people. And so when we see the quartet of the vulnerable in our society, the fatherless, the widow, the immigrant, and the poor, we don't respond to them like we're prone to maybe. And we, maybe we don't vocalize it, but we, this is how we respond inside. We don't, aren't to respond with condescension. No, we're to respond with kindness to them. Not with a feeling of superiority, but with a feeling of sympathy toward them. Not with haughty eyes, but with a humble heart to them. 
Or to put it another way, when we realize, as Jesus said, when we realize that we ourselves are poor in spirit, then it will change how we view the poor and the vulnerable in our own world today. And I think we especially need to be reminded of this when it comes to immigrants in our own city and country. May get a little uncomfortable, but that's a good thing. I understand we, you and I, we have different political views to the best recourse of action for this crisis we're facing. But church, the question remains, what will you do regarding the immigrant that is here now? How will you speak about them in your own conversation? Will you scorn and deride or will you see them as people created in the image of God and therefore, therefore possessing equal worth, equal dignity, equal value and equal purpose as you? Or maybe, maybe to put it a bit more directly. You are not more valuable than they are in God's sight. He created them just as he created you. Therefore, may this shape the way we see, the way we speak about, and the way we serve immigrants in our own city today. Being compassionate and love also affects how we respond to women who may have had an abortion in the past. And if you're in this room and if you've had an abortion, I want you to hear this truth this morning. Jesus forgives and Jesus restores. One of the scariest things for someone enslaved by the shame of their past is to bring it into the light, right? But it is in the light where we find newness of life. And so if you've had an abortion in the past and are still living with the shame and the pain of that decision, today is the day for you to lay that down. To lay that scarlet letter down at the foot of the cross and to find forgiveness for sin. There is no sin so great that God's grace cannot forgive. Romans 5 says that when Jesus died on the cross for you, he didn't see you at the heights of your religious success. No, when he died on the cross for you, he saw you when you took that pill or when you went to that clinic. And listen, he still gave his life for you. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, at the worst of our worst, Christ still died for us. And so today you can be set free from your sin, your shame, and the brokenness and baggage you've been carrying around for your whole life. If you would come to Christ, receive his forgiveness that God freely offers to you in the gospel. There is no sin so great that God's grace cannot redeem. And there is no situation so hopeless that God's grace cannot restore. We are called to be compassionate in love as we give justice. Thirdly, we're called to be compelled to action. Tim Keller in his book, Generous Justice, he says this, a true experience of the grace of Jesus inevitably motivates a man or woman to seek justice in the world. Maybe to put it another way, when we are justified by God through Christ, it leads us to pursue justice in this world. So listen, as a reminder, church, we don't seek justice in our community to be woke citizens. We seek justice in our community to be obedient Christians. And so practically, which group of the vulnerable has God burdened your heart with this morning? I trust if you are a child of God, then he has burdened your heart in some way for those who are being oppressed. Maybe it's with a group of people that I didn't mention this morning, but, but however God has burdened your heart, how will you respond? I, I can't see your heart, so I can't speak specifically, but at least in three principled, three principled ways we can respond. First, we can pray. 
We can continue to pray for the injustices in our community and in our world. We can pray through the news rather than being uh, frustrated or burdened by the news. Use the news as your prayer list. Pray through the news, for the news, and pray regularly for the oppressed and the injustice in our world today. Secondly, we can give. As a church, we give to the spring here in Tulsa in Broken Arrow. You can also give to Hope Pregnancy Center here in Tulsa. And you can give to Mercy Ministry Projects around the world through the IMB if you go to their website. Thirdly, I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to speak with me after the service or to send me an email. Tell me how God has burdened your heart to do justice in our world today. And so once you tell me, then we can start formulating ministry efforts accordingly. Be compelled to action by the truth of God's word. Don't be a hearer only. Be a doer of his word. I want to encourage you. And then finally, this morning, I want to encourage you to remain committed to the gospel. John Piper, he said once before, as Christians, we should care about all suffering, but especially eternal suffering. And so I want to encourage you that as That as God's people, as he's burdening your heart to alleviate the physical sufferings of people around you, always remember that the greatest form of suffering, it is eternal suffering. And the greatest need in our world, it is salvation. And so as we are showing the love of Jesus to people, may we use those opportunities to then share with them the good news that Jesus can rescue them out of their great spiritual despair. He can forgive them of their sins and he can give them the hope and the promise of eternal life. I'll end our time this morning by reminding you of this command from God's word. Church, it's a command, not a suggestion. We are to, as God says, give justice to the weak. And the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And may we pray, as Asaph did in verse 8 Arise, O God, judge the earth. Exercise your justice in this world, for you shall inherit all the nations. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.